Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? I'm good, thanks. Wow, no one ever asked me. Thank you. I am good, thank you. Uh, hey, if you've got a Bible, would you go ahead and grab it and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, which is where we'll be camping out for week five of our Ask Anything series. Um, now, when we asked you to send in your questions, we really got two kinds of questions for this series. Uh, the first kind of questions were these kind of big philosophical questions, like um, why should we trust the Bible? Why, why should we pray if God's sovereign? Or how do we reconcile the love of God with what he has said about homosexuality? And um, I think God's really met us in this series as we've been in these big questions. Has this been helpful for anybody? Awesome. Wow, you guys are talking back today. This is great. I'm doing very well. Wow. Um, so yeah, I'm so encouraged to hear that. I've been encouraged. Um, I'm also very aware it's been heavy the last few weeks, right? <laughs> and so here's what I'll say right out of the gates. You can breathe out this morning. Today we're moving into the second kind of question uh, that we got, which are really more the practical questions, kind of less why and more how to. And uh, today's message is going to be a really practical message about something that I'm sure you've all wondered about if you've been around church for any amount of time. And listen, listen to how one person put it. Again, it got asked in a few ways, but this one got the most votes. I love teachings from God's word as much as the next Christ follower. But unless I know how to share this information with the lost, what's the point? How do I love my neighbor by sharing Christ? Um, now, there's a few things I love about that question. The first thing is I love that this question is dialed into the missionary heart of God. Um, that what we see paid cover to cover in scriptures is that God has blessed us to make us a blessing in the world. That he has saved us and redeemed us to redeem the world around us, to send us out and proclaim the good news of what he has done and who he is. And so I love that this question is dialed into that and has, I can feel the angst through the question. Like, how do we get this out of here? This is great stuff, but we've got to share it. So I, I love that this question is dialed into that. Um, I also love that this question is full of eyes. So whoever wrote this, kudos to you, because um, sometimes what can happen in church is when we talk about evangelism, um, the idea can become, uh, well, what I'll do is I'll bring my friend to church, and um, then they'll hear the gospel preached at church. Just hope the pastor doesn't say anything crazy that day. Hope he doesn't bring up the dog thing. That's getting really old. Uh, <laughs> And, 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 and here's what I'll say about that. Like, that, that actually has been a way that several people have met Jesus. Um, my grandmother, who I told you about a few weeks ago, she was saved at a Billy Graham crusade. And it sounds like some of you or maybe some of the people you love have had that in their story. Some of you, I know, heard the gospel proclaimed in a church service much like this one, and you believed, and here you are today. And so, um, man, God has mightily used church gatherings like this one, not just throughout history, but particularly in Diablo Valley at Fair Oaks here. And so it's been a really beautiful thing what's happened here. Um, but what I will also say is um, I think that going forward, it's going to be less and less our bread and butter to invite our friend to a church service because um, the reality is uh, our world is becoming 
um, less and less Christianized. It's becoming more and more what some are calling post-Christian, um, to where, um, leave the term behind. Um, my guess is, um, if you've lived it all, you remember a time where it was expected that someone would show up to church on a Sunday morning. It was just a question of which one would you show up to. Um, that's not really a, an assumption these days anymore, is it? It's, it's harder to get someone to a church service. And so we're going to keep doing these things uh, for the sake of our edification, but also we want to have an eye to outsiders. So if you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. Part of why we do uh, a series like this, part of why we'll say, hey, we're going to talk about marijuana next week, so invite your friends. Um, true story, by the way. Come back next week for that. Part of why we do this is, man, God uses gatherings like this. So by all means, continue to invite your friends. And if you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. But I think that can't be our only evangelistic strategy, particularly with the direction of our culture. I think if we're going to have any future as a church, we have to get back to the main way the gospel was spread in the New Testament. And that is through one-on-one, on-the-ground, personal relationships. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, We're going to look at three lessons on how to share your faith from one of the greatest evangelists ever, um, a guy named Peter. And and let me start by saying, uh, if Peter can do this, so can you. If you were here with us in our Mark series, uh, we saw that Peter was an average, ordinary, normal guy like you and me. If anything, he was one of those extra grace required kind of guys, kind of ready, fire, aim, made a lot of mess, uh, made a lot of mistakes, but he also led a lot of people to Jesus. And, and I, this is what I love about God is he takes the people that you shake your head at and he uses them to do great work to say, if God can use Peter, he can use you, amen? And so if God can use Peter... You can do this too. And and frankly, I think that God had Peter write the verse we're going to look at today down so that we would remember this. So that we're like, oh, Peter's saying this? All right. Okay, I'm going to listen. This is for average, ordinary, normal, everyday people like me. And so if you've got a Bible, 1 Peter 3.15, we're going to camp out in a single verse this morning, but I'm telling you, it's packed. Listen to what Peter has to say. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. All right, note takers, here's the first lesson. We're going to look at three today. Here's the first lesson. Number one, evangelism begins with worship. Um, Did anyone notice that our verse picked up like mid-sentence? Yes? Were any of you bothered? Like, that was a lowercase b. You can't start with a lowercase. you got to start with an uppercase. That's not a proper sentence. Well, um, okay, Uh, Karen's not here this morning. She'd be amening that one from the front row. Uh, (laughs) But but that's because uh, Peter's teaching on evangelism, it it comes out of a much larger argument in the letter. Um, Here's the big idea. Peter is writing to um, a group of Christians who are being kind of mocked and maligned for their faith in Jesus. Um, I know it's kind of hard to envision a culture that would mock Christians, um, but just try to use your imagination on this one and stick with me for the sake of illustration. Um, These Christians were being pressed on every side at work, in their friend group, from the cultural powers that be to give up on the Jesus thing. And into that context, Peter writes them, and he says, don't be afraid of those who are mocking you. But verse 15, he completes the sentence, honor Christ the Lord as holy. 
what he's saying is you can live for the opinion of the people around you or you can live for the opinion of God, but you've got to decide which opinion is going to drive your life. Um, I think the New Living Translation captures this really well. Listen to how the NLT says it on 1 Peter 3.15. It says, instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. See, the truth is, we all have a Lord of our life. Um, you might not use that language, but we all have something that we look to and say, you are what makes life worth living. This is the center of my life. This is what I kind of honor as holy. I set it apart. I worship it. I put it on the throne of my life. That's what the word worship is about. Worship, it's the Bible's way of talking about whatever we love most. And so when we sing and hear and clap our hands, which by the way, great job this morning. I was a little bit nervous when we were planning that, but Pastor was like, no, trust me, this is what God's saying. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. Um, when we sing and clap our hands, that's an expression of our worship, of our love for God. But worship isn't just something that happens in this building. Worship is something that we do all week long. Christian or not, by the way, um, God has made us to worship. He has made us to see beauty, to celebrate, to treasure it, and exclaim it. This is why, by the way, when you have great tacos, you say, these are great tacos. Like everyone I meet, they have their favorite taqueria in the area. You've got to go there because we, we love to praise good things. God made us to worship. And so... If you're not worshiping Jesus as the Lord of your life, the main thing that it's all about, um, you will worship someone or something else in Jesus' place. And Peter's really written this, the whole point of this entire letter is Peter is writing to these persecuted Christians about the love of Christ and the gospel that is so good and so real and so sure so that in the face of all of this pressure, they wouldn't turn to cheap substitutes. He says, I know it's bad out there, but you keep on worshiping Jesus as the Lord of your life because everything else is a cheap substitute. And this is where evangelism begins because if you are worshiping Jesus as the Lord of your life, you, you just kind of become unshakable. Um, it's certainly what we see in Peter's life, but, but look at just this example uh, right here. He's talking to them about how they're being mocked in the verses before this. He's talking about those that would threaten them. And, um, and, and we say things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Um, I don't know why we lie to our kids. That's totally not true. Um, words have incredible power to wound. Like, I, I would love to talk to the person that thought that one up. Really? Um, words have incredible power to wound us. So when we're being mocked, when we're being made fun of, um, that cuts, particularly if it's someone you care about. Um, particularly if someone you care about says, I can't believe you believe this. Are you really that much of a fool? Are you really much of that much of a bigot? When people speak this way, it hurts. When we speak this way of others, it hurts. But what Peter's saying is... Hey, I know you're being mocked, but remember Jesus. Is he the Lord of your life? Because see, if, when you are alive to the fact that the king of the universe looks at you and, and take the criticism, whatever you were criticized for, he sees that area of criticism 
And he knows your faults better than the people around you would know it. He knows the worst stuff about you. And the king of the universe looks at you and he loves you and he is for you, which is what Peter has been proclaiming for three chapters now. And so what he's saying is, man, if the king of the universe is for you, who cares what that dummy on TikTok says? Like even if they have a million followers, like how does that compare to the king of glory? He made those million followers. See, when you worship Jesus, it makes you unshakable. It gives you this life and vitality that no opinion of mere humans can take away from you. Worshiping Jesus, it makes you, it makes me unshakable because in the gospel, God's love for us is unmovable. And no circumstance, no sin, no failure, no power of darkness, not even death itself can take that away from us. And this is the beginning of evangelism because Peter says when When you're worshiping Jesus, it will produce a hope in you and in me. It will produce this vitality in you and me. It will make us so unshakable that the people around us will notice it. Like, why didn't that destroy you? Why aren't you more distraught over that? Why hasn't that broken your will? People will notice and they will ask about it. And so let's just have some real talk. If no one has been asking about the reason for the hope that you have, I think you may need to take a hard look at your faith and ask, am I growing in my love for Jesus? Or has my heart been caught up in other things? The gospel frees us to look at this honestly because no amount of sin or drift can separate us from the love of God so we can get honest this morning. But if you would honestly say, yeah, it's been a while since I felt excited about Jesus. I, I watched the person clapping next to me this morning and I, I want to be that excited, but it's, it's been a while for me. Then I think the most practical thing you can do in terms of sharing your faith is to start right there to ask the Holy Spirit to root up the things in your heart that have more of your heart than him, to confess that and in full confidence of his unmovable, unchanging love, get up and pursue him again. Peter says that when you do that, you better be ready to share your faith because when you worship Jesus, your life will take on a vitality so visible that people will start asking you about it which leads to number two. Invest in real relationships with non-Christians. When it comes to evangelism, I think we can often force it. Um, Like I was just talking to someone and they're like, man, it's getting so hot here. I, I don't remember it being this hot in the summers in California anymore. And an example of forcing it would be like, man, you think this is hot? We should really talk about your future. Now, I I hope none of you do it that badly. Some of you just got that. I hope none of us do it that badly, but I think that we do that in very subtle ways where we kind of, um, what one author calls Jesus juke the conversation, where someone will be talking about one thing and we take this hard turn that they did not intend to bring the conversation in a spiritual direction. I think we've all been there, but what Peter says is, 
you don't have to force it. If you are worshiping Jesus as Lord of your life, if you're worshiping Jesus, then your friends will ask about your faith. Listen to it again. We're just going to read this a few times. You'll have a Bible verse memorized by the end of the morning, I think. Uh, Verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Um, Now, in English, that can almost sound theoretical. Like, be prepared to share if anyone asks you. Some of your translations might add the word if, but in the language the Bible is originally written, and there's nothing theoretical about this. Um, A better translation, it would just be bad English, but a better translation would be um, always be prepared to give a reason to the ones who are asking. It's active. What Peter is saying is when you worship Jesus as the Lord of your life, imperfect as it will be, as you increasingly give yourself to this, people will notice and they will come asking. Be prepared to give a reason to the ones who are asking. Your friends will ask about your faith. Now, uh, here's what that requires. That requires real relationships with non-Christians. Uh, where, where and, and I'm not talking acquaintances. I'm talking people that have enough proximity to your life to see and to notice the change in you, the stuff you're going through, and the hope that is in you. Now, now it's really easy to do that when you be, first become a Christian. Um, because when you first be, if, if you're an adult and you become a Christian, I guess this is less true if you grow up in the faith, but when you first become a, a Christian as an adult, all your friends are non-Christians. And so your life is filled this way. It's really, really easy. Um, but, and, and this, by the way, I think is why new believers make the best evangelists, because they're excited about Jesus. They just got saved. They're very aware of the hope of the gospel, and they've got all these non-Christians in their life. But what can tend to happen as we grow is we develop all these relationships in the church um, with other Christians. And, and I think that's actually great. This would be another sermon, but Christian community is an essential aspect of the Christian life. That if we try to go at this on our own, we are going to get picked off by Satan, our own flesh, and the pressure of the world. Like, we need one another. It's why we come together and sing of the gospel and encourage one another. It's why we have gospel communities that meet in the week and do life on life. Christian community is great. I can't believe I'm preaching that sermon now. Christian community is great. But if you spend all, it is not all of the Christian life. Christian community is a big part of the Christian life, but it is not all of the Christian life. And if you spend all of your time with other Christians, then you're going to miss out on a significant part of what God wants to do in and through your life. And I'm telling you, I think this is why some of you are bored in your walk with God. Because he has all these gifts he's given you. He's placed you for a purpose. And you've punted on that purpose. And the invitation, if you're like, oh, maybe I have. I don't, I'm not sure. The invitation for you is not to feel like, oh, I messed up. I'm doing a bad job. The invitation is no. The love of God is real. Hasn't changed his opinion about you. But the invitation he has for you is to get in the game and play. 
And the good news is God has already placed non-Christians in your life. Um, You just have to take intentional steps to build the relationship. Um, And I said I want today to be practical, so I'm going to give you three questions that a pastor friend of mine uh, uses when he's talking about this um, to help people um, develop relationships, intentional relationships, real relationships with the non-Christians in their life. I've been helped by these. You might find them helpful too. Um, Here here they are. Number one, he asks, who are the non-Christians around you? So think about your workplace. Think about your neighborhood. Think about the places you frequent. Think about that neighbor, for example, that doesn't bring his trash cans in until like two days later. That guy definitely needs Jesus, right? Um, Think about the people in your life. And and seriously, take down a piece of paper and just write down the people that you spend more than 10 minutes that you think, I I don't know where they're at, but they might not be a Christian. I think you might be surprised just right there how many people are on that list. And then the question is, do you know their names? Because if not, that's a great place to start, to build a relationship, to introduce yourself. And look, I know this one can be awkward because maybe you've met them several times and you just don't remember your name. So bring one of your friends from Fair Oaks with you and have them introduce themselves to your neighbor, to your coworker, and then see how your coworker, neighbor, whoever introduces them. And then you'll hear their name. Be sneaky about it, but be sneaky for Jesus, all right? Um, so, so number one, who are the non-Christians around you? And then he says, number two, um, have you had them over to your house? If not, maybe you invite them over for dinner. Maybe you throw a big block party and a barbecue to have the neighbors over. Um, and and I, I love this one. Some of you laughed. You're like, I don't know about that one. But like, if you read the Gospels, if you spend any time reading it, you will see that Jesus' great ministry secret was having long meals with people, reclining at table, spending time with them. Because there's something about shared meals together that bond us, I think. It's also, it's like everyone's got to eat, you know. Um, I don't know that I've ever invited someone over to my house for a meal and they've turned me down, like for a free meal. <laughs> don't charge admission, that'd be weird. But, but have you had them over to your house? And look, maybe some of the laughter earlier, like, have I had them over to my house? Like, well, no. Then they'll see what a mess my house is. Then they'll see how my kids don't listen to me and that won't be a very good witness. Well, here's what I'd say to that. Um, I actually think inviting people into your home to see your real life and your real mess is actually a great starting point for sharing your faith. Um, Because when you lose your minds over something your kids do, or when you're watching the game and you are just too emotionally invested, that's a great opportunity to say, yeah, I need Jesus too. And now you're in a gospel conversation. See, we've all got a mess, by the way. And this is the great secret. We all try to pretend it's not true. Everybody has a mess in their life. And I think it's really refreshing when people are honest about that. Everyone's got a mess. And your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, they won't be as shocked as you think um, to see yours. If anything, it's going to be the launching point for a great conversation. So have you had them over to your house? And have you been to their house? Because that's the sign the relationship's really taking off if it's mutual. Like, oh, they invited us over. This is awesome. We're really getting somewhere. So number two, have you had them over to your house? Have you been over to their house? Number three, do you know where they are at spiritually? Um, This is the hard one for me. 
Some of you are like, you're a pastor. No, that's exactly why this one's hard for me. Because they know I'm a pastor. And so I don't want to come on too intense and too strong because I know they're kind of expecting it. And so this is a hard one for me, but whether or not this is hard for you, the reality is at some point as you're getting to know someone, you've got to get beneath the surface level and ask the deeper questions of life. Otherwise, you can't say you have a real relationship or a real friendship. It's just an acquaintance. And, and, and I'll say on this point, I, I was like, how do I preach this one? Because you've got to be aware of your personality, and there's so many different personalities in this room. So I'll just name this and let the Holy Spirit apply it for you. Um, Karen, for example, is a straight shooter. I love this about her. Karen says what's on her mind it's ready, fire, aim. It's, it's out there. Um, but Karen has had to learn that you can't ask someone where they're at with Jesus over appetizers the first time you get together, or it's going to freak them out. And unless you're like Karen, and you're like, no, this is great. Let's go for it, which that's me and Karen. That's our dynamic. But um, so some of you, maybe you're like Karen, and, and you need to learn to pump the brakes a little bit and to um, form a little context with the person before you begin to ask probing deeper questions about their life. So you need to be aware of your personality. Um, but others of you, I'm, I'm afraid to say that because there are others of you that you are so afraid of coming off too strong that your neighbors, they think you're like really committed to some golf league or something on Sunday mornings. And it might be time for you to take a risk and ask a real question for once. We've got to be aware of our personalities and the Holy Spirit's going to lead us. Do I need to lean in and be more risk-taking or do I need to slow down, calm down, and take a breath? But that's the question. Do you know where they're at? Do you know the pain points in their life? Do you know the hopes in their dreams? Do you know what their background with church is? Have they had a bad church experience? Um, do you know where they're at with Jesus? I told you this is one I struggle with, but here's what I've found. Is I am learning. It's okay to ask some questions. What I found is people love to be asked real soul level questions. Um, try this out. You might find this too. Um, I think most of the people that we live our lives with are not asked real questions often enough. I think it's refreshing for people to be asked, man, how'd that make you feel? Oh man, how, how are you doing about that? Man, can I, can I pray for you? Is there anything I could be praying for you about? I think people love to be asked deep soul level questions because we live in a thin culture that is not accustomed to asking the deep soul questions of life. And if we can be a life-giving people that will ask the deep questions of life, I think you will be amazed at the kind of relationship that you will see develop. And that's really what we're aiming for here. We are aiming for real relationships and, and I want to stress this point because if you leave here and you turn the people in your life into projects, I can tell you from personal experience, it's not going to go well. 
People see right through that when you're only getting to know them so that you can eventually share the gospel. If you've got an agenda to your relationship, people can see right through that and it doesn't feel good. And, and I, I could tell you this from experience because I'm so type A, I turn everything into a to-do list and a competition. And so I make a goal like, okay, this, I, I chart out the neighborhood. I haven't actually done this, but basically in my heart, I've charted out the neighborhood and I'm like, okay, by January, I've talked to them, February then. Again, I'm not that bad, but I really do tend to say, okay, I'm very goal oriented. And that can be great in some ways, but it can be problematic at times as well. And I'm not saying that we don't have hopes and dreams for people. What I'm saying is I don't think Jesus ever treated people that transactionally. Did Jesus want to give everyone he met a new life? Absolutely. So when I say don't say an agenda, don't hear me saying you shouldn't care if they meet Jesus or not. I'm saying that you should care about them more than what they believe in Jesus or not. Jesus, I I think he really did want to give new life to whoever he encountered, of course, but if you watch how Jesus interacted with people in the Gospels, you can tell he didn't speak to them just for the sake of a Gospel opportunity. He seems to have genuinely seen and loved and valued the humanity in each one of the people that he has made and loved them right where they're at, no strings attached. If you want proof of this, by the way, Mark chapter 10, there's a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. Jesus loves him. He engages him. He speaks kindly to him, and the young man walks away sad. Jesus loved people. No strings attached. And I think that's got to be our goal here, to genuinely get to know and love and have real relationships with the non-Christians in our lives. Because some of the people will be a Peter that deny Jesus once, deny him twice, deny him three times, but eventually come around. Um, Some will be like a Saul of Tarsus that will kill Christians for a while, but eventually will come around and write most of the New Testament. And some will be a rich young ruler that walk away sad and we don't know the end of their story, but we can't be in it for the outcomes if we're going to be like Christ. We've got to be in it for the sake of a real relationship. And I'll tell you this from experiences. I've had to learn this lesson. If you can just value the relationship and not be transactional and not see it as a project, you'll find two great things will happen. Number one, um, you will be blessed in your walk with Jesus. I can't tell you how enriched and helped I have been by my non-Christian friends. Is I've not pushed the issue too quick and just gotten to know them and hear how they think about life. They make me rethink what I believe and really look at that and press into Scripture and press into the Lord. Man, I've been so enriched by my friendships with non-Christians. It's driven me to prayer more. It's helped me see more of the world outside of more than just my little bubble. And I will also tell you this. It's going to be a blessing to you. And number two, Peter says, if you have those real relationships, they will eventually ask about your faith. They will eventually ask about your faith because a friend asks about what's going on in the life of a friend. And if you're suffering and still thriving, they're going to say, friend, how is that possible? Did you see what they said about you? How are you not crushed by that? Did you see what's in the news? How are you not depressed by that? They're going to start asking you the questions. And so as as we seek real relationships, as we build them, 
I really believe it's going to bless us. It's going to give us gospel opportunity, and it's going to honor God. But now I, I need to get to number three. Um, your friends will ask about your faith. Your friends. So invest in real relationships with non-Christians. And when they ask about your faith, what do you do? Number three, you use your story to share God's story. Um, a lot of times when we think about evangelism, um, I think we tend to think of a set presentation, right? Um, like, anyone familiar with the Romans Road? Seriously, like, no joke, that's really helpful. That's led a lot of people to Christ. Um, I actually think that played a role in my testimony. Like, you know, I got saved later, but that one was always in me. Um, you know, uh, others, I think a really popular one when I was growing up in the church is you just start by saying, hey, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Ever hear that one? Right? There's a lot of tracks out there that will walk you step by step through the truths of the gospel, how to present those things. And um, in the past, like I said earlier, like I think those things God's used mightily in the past. Some of you are here today because of the Romans road. I saw the twinkle in your eye just a moment ago. Um, God's mightily used these things in the past, but what I will say is the problem is they're not working so well anymore. And it's not because the gospel is all of a sudden irrelevant. The truth of the gospel is still what every person I've ever met is looking for. But the way we present it, it's like our standard evangelistic presentations haven't caught up with the fact that we're no longer in Christendom. And that people aren't just walking around wondering what God thinks about them. The whole where are you going to go when you die works great when people assume there's a God that he will judge the living and the dead and that you will live forever. That's a really great question. If someone thinks there is no God, no one's going to call injustice and evil into the rights and there is no life after death, that's a completely irrelevant question. And so when Peter talks about making a defense for the reason for the hope that we have, that word defense it's a, it's a word that refers to a persuasive speech or an argument. And, and I think where some of our gospel presentations, our evangelism fails, is we're just not being persuasive. Again, I'm not saying that we change the gospel. Otherwise, it's not evangelism anymore. Um, some people have changed their presentation so much, there's no Jesus left in their presentation anymore. To which, at that point, I'm like, what are you evangelizing people to? Like your social movement? I don't get what you're evangelizing them to if you take Jesus and him crucified and resurrected out of it. But at the same time, if we try to work on means that worked in the 1950s and 2020, I think we shouldn't be surprised when we're not seeing new people come to faith. Peter says that we should be persuasive, that we should make a persuasive defense for the hope that is in you. And I think some of our evangelism for all of our best intentions and for all the real relationships we have and how people are genuinely interested when we share with that person that we love that's interested and can see a difference in our life, it just skims right off the surface because they have no category for sin, no category for salvation, and no interest in knowing what God thinks about their lives. And if I've thoroughly depressed you, um, let me encourage you now. Um, Peter's writing to Christians living in a cultural moment a lot like our own. Um, see, I, I want to do maybe a, this week, I was like, we got to do First Peter someday soon. Because Peter, he's not writing to a post-Christian culture. He's writing to a pre-Christian culture. 
where the values and the ethics of Christendom are not considered normative. They're considered weird. And it's a very relevant letter for us today. And so what he says, we got to pay attention to this. He says, hey, in that atmosphere where the majority culture does not assume your ethical framework, here's what evangelism looks like. You share the reason for the hope that is in you. That's not a set presentation. That's a personal thing. It's in you. What he's saying is you want to share the timeless gospel. That's the hope. That's the big theme of the letter. Don't amend the gospel. Bad things happen when you amend the gospel. But you want to share the timeless gospel in a personal way. That's the in you part. In other words, you want to use your story to share God's story. And and here's where I think this works great today. Because far smarter people than me have pointed this out. And I wonder if you've seen this is true. Um, There are few things more persuasive in our culture today than someone's lived experience. Right? Um, Like we live in a post-truth, post-so-many-things world. But people still listen to the powerful People still listen to personal testimonies. Um, I was offered money this weekend to read a book and to write a review talking about how much I loved it. Because we live in a day that, like Peter's, loves personal stories. And where people might struggle with, uh, you know, like some authoritative source of truth, where they might struggle that there's a God in heaven that would say anything that has any bearing on our lives, I don't think really people struggle to think that your story is important and my story is important and the things you have lived and you have experienced are worthy of reflection and careful consideration. And so I think, church, I think we've got to use that opportunity for Jesus. We've got to learn to talk about our lived experience and make Jesus the hero. Because isn't he the hero of your lived experience? And I think the best way we can share our faith in our day, you know, this sermon will probably be totally irrelevant 50 years from now. Might be irrelevant 50 months from now. I don't know. But I think in this cultural climate, the best way we can share our faith is to use our story to share God's story. Um, A pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt, he calls this sharing your story with Jesus is the hero. And he's got a great uh, article about how to do that that I've actually put in the discussion guide, the worship guide. I put it all the, the guides and the places you might check this week. So that you can walk through that on your own. It's something that we walk through with everyone in our baptism class. But I just want to give you the big idea so you can get a framework for what does this look like. How do I use my story to tell God's story? You really do three things. Number one, you share what your life was like before Jesus. You share your honest pain points and your hopes and your dreams. And the rawer and the realer you get, the greater God gets the glory for what comes next. So don't hold back. Share what your life is like apart from God. Share the brokenness in you. Share the things about you that make you shake your head about yourself. Because that's not where the story ends. You share what your life was like before Jesus. And then, number two, you share what God has done in Christ. What Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection to bring you life. 
This is where we take the timeless gospel and we put it in our own words. For the forgiveness of sins, for the removal of our shame, for the uh, entrustment of a new identity that gives us a new future and a hope. This is where we share what Jesus has done to give us life. This is the gospel. This is a great time to quote Bible. Just don't tell them that you're doing it. Like I love to use John 10. Um, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Also, man, Jesus brought me abundant life by taking on the death I deserve and giving me life. And they have no idea, but I just quoted them Bible. Be sneaky for Jesus. That's the point today. But okay, so, so, so you share what your life is like before Jesus. You share what God has done for you in the gospel to bring you life. And that's, you got to somehow get to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Otherwise, it ain't the gospel. Then you share how that truth is changing your life now. And this is where, again, I encourage you to be real. Don't give, and I'm perfect now, and I never struggled again. Because <laughs> people will see right through that. Because we said earlier, these are real relationships. They know you well enough to know that ain't true. But talk about the hope that is in you. Talk about the difference Jesus makes. And I ain't living this out perfectly, but I wish I was doing this more because here's how my life is different now. That is how you use your story and your lived experience to share the gospel. And I would encourage you to check it out if you want to get into it more. But this is, like I said, something we do with everyone in our baptism class. And actually, we were planning to end today's message with that. By having someone share their story in a very public way, with words, and then with actions as they get baptized. But uh, in this particular case, COVID's trying to make a comeback right now, so we've got someone out sick this morning, so we're not going to do that this morning. Um, come back next week for that, by the way. It's not like the person's not getting baptized. It's like they don't want to get us all sick while they get, get baptized. Because uh, God's, a, anyway, okay, not going to get off on that one. Um, my point is I don't have an ending to this message. It was supposed to end with, and listen to someone do it, glory to God, and we're going to sing and we're going to clap our hands if that hasn't worn off from the top of service until now. And so I don't really have an ending to this message, but what I will say is um, we don't just share our story one time when we get baptized. This is something we're meant to keep sharing. It's part of why I do this in baptism class with everyone. I want to hear a great testimony, but I also want to equip a new believer to walk with Jesus. An important part of walking with Jesus is continuing to know and reflect on your story. Um, one of the most common commands in Scripture is to remember. Remember, 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 which I, my six-year-old tells me, Dad, you have a very bad memory. And I'm like, I'm very biblical. I need to be called to remember often. God tells us to remember often because as we reflect and remember what he has done for us, this is like half the Psalms, by the way. Remember the mighty works of God of old. Because when we remember what our life was like before Jesus and how he loved us in the midst of that mess and what he did by coming and taking on the death we deserve and dying in our place for our sins and rising again to give us a new identity and a new future and a new life that no amount of foolishness or darkness can ever steal from us. When we remember that, it stirs us to fresh worship. Again, this is like half the Psalms. Go play Psalm Roulette this week and pick one. And you'll see, remember the works of God. I'm depressed now, but remember the works of God. He's so faithful. Oh my goodness, I can trust him for tomorrow. God, you're great. 
And so um, your story, it's not just something you share one time. It's something we're meant to go on sharing and reflecting on personally, corporately, in relationship with our Christian brothers and sisters, and yes, eventually with others when they ask. And here's the beautiful thing about this. Um, It's cyclical, right? You remember your story, it stirs fresh worship in you. And so if you have real relationships, that worship's going to spill over and people are going to ask about it. And as they ask about it, as you seek to have relationships with them, you got to pray and you got to talk to God to move because you remember the whole prayer sermon. And as you pray, it stirs in you fresh worship as you go, man, God, I was once that. And what have you done to me? Would you do that for them? And it goes on and on again, where you go from worship to relationship to sharing the reason for the hope that is in you. And as you remember the hope that's in you, you go, right back to worship, relationship, sharing the hope that's in you. And as you reflect on the hope that's in you, it sends you right back to worship, relationship, sharing the hope that's in you. Are you tracking with me at this point here? It's a beautiful thing that God has designed for the gospel to pass through relationships. Could he save the people in our lives by just sky writing it, showing up on our TVs? Absolutely. But he loves us enough to call us to get in the game and embody the good news of his grace because there's something that is beautiful about the gospel passing through an imperfect human like you and me. And so what I want to do is um, we're just going to take some time to reflect on our story. The band's going to sing a song over us. I just want to encourage you to reflect and remember, Jesus, have you changed my life? Remember your story. And then after we've spent some time remembering, we'll stand and we'll sing and we'll praise him for what he's done. And if we go out of here uh, worshiping him afresh and pursuing relationships with non-Christians, I am believing that scripture is true, that they'll ask for the reason for the hope that we have. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen in this place as we get on the cycle of doing these things. Um, Let me also say this. If you're not a Christian and you're like, I don't have a story to reflect on, um, what I would argue is you absolutely do. You have a story, and God is at work in a thousand ways that you haven't known in your story. He's working behind the scenes. I promise you it's true. And I'm not saying you have to believe that. I'm not saying you have to take my word for it. I'm saying that your story matters as well. And so as we take this time to reflect, I would just encourage you to reflect on your story. Man, what is the hope of my life? What am I living for? And how does it compare to Jesus? I want to close by reading the opening poem from 1 Peter because this is just a great way to remember what Jesus has done to bring us life. In all the unique ways we needed to hear it, I'm going to read this, I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to reflect. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'd encourage you just to close your eyes and hear the words of God read over you. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ.
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus, I thank you that you have loved us like this. Um, Though we cannot bodily see you in this place, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts afresh to what you have done through your life, death, and resurrection to bring us life. Help us remember our story, where we were when you found us. Remind us that you still love us in spite of the struggle in our life and prove to be a resurrected Savior by how you work in us as we reflect on these things right now. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to those who don't yet know you this morning, that you would show them, here's how I've been at work in your life. Here's how I'm wooing and working, and I'm inviting you into a fuller life. Would you meet each and every one of us where we're at and take us deeper into the living hope you offer us in the gospel? That we might leave this place more alive in you and reflecting that hope and being ready to share about it whenever asked. We love you. In your beautiful name I ask. Amen.